So I'm starting it now. It is. We are now recording. Okay. Let's continue. All right. So Matthew 5. Matthew slash Levi wrote it. He wrote it to the Jews and, and to convince them there of, of Jesus. And let's and and then uh, now. Okay. So what was the next thing we were supposed to do? Commentaries. You were supposed to read commentaries. <clears throat> Who who's got a quote from one of the commentaries they read that they want to share with with everyone? I didn't. I took notes, but I didn't like quote anything. Okay. But like, I went on Bible study tools and. The one I was on was Matthew Henry Commentary on the mm. Whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Long name. Um, like, it was practically saying, like, Jesus blessed those who normally would not have been blessed. And, that, and one of the examples were, like, the meek, the brokenhearted, um, peacemakers, the persecuted. And I'm just like, oh, wow, like, we don't take it in that sense. And, like, my brain is just going with that. Yeah. Jesus was standing in direct opposition to the system of this world. He was declaring war on the system of this world. He was declaring war on the values of a sin-created culture. That was what he was doing. And he was stating the truth. He was stating reality. It wasn't just that, oh, I feel bad for those people, so I want to bless them. No. No. This wasn't Jesus' compassion. I mean, it was whatever. But this wasn't Jesus just being compassionate on people who, who have things difficult or are outcasts. This was Jesus speaking the truth that the culture that we live in, the very air we breathe, our communal bathwater stands against. Okay? That, that the culture we live in Sin-created culture says might makes right, says, uh, you know, uh, uh, survival of the fittest, says that uh, the one, you know, the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules, okay, that, that, that's, that's the kind of thing. It also says that, that victory is the only good. That its definition of success is the only purpose to human life. Okay, these are the kinds of things that the culture that we exist in still today, this this sin-created culture, is more powerful, more real now than it has ever been. And it is all around you, and you believe it. Okay? Okay. Every single person in this room, you believe it. You, the, the, the like bottom of your nature really believes these things to be true. It really does. And Jesus comes along and Jesus says, oh, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. And everybody was like, what? Because <laughs> the primary, in, in the culture Jesus was speaking to, the guys that were the top of the heap, were the Pharisees. They were the ones walking around making sure everyone knew exactly how spiritual and holy they were. They were the ones walking around praying on the, on the street corner, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like these foul people who walk by. I fast twice a week. I give my... They would literally blow trumpets when they were going to give in the offering. 
All right? All right? That's what they're doing. And Jesus says, hmm, now blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, that? No, not that. Everybody in his crowd, they didn't think of that as disgusting. They didn't think of that as as wrong or backward or not okay. They said, man, I wish I was a Pharisee. I wish I had that kind of grit. I wish I could do that. I wish I could live up to that example. And Jesus is like, no. Listen to the poor in spirit. The ones who show up saying, God, I've got it all wrong. God, I don't have it figured out. God, help me. (laughs) Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus going, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the broken and contrite heart that God will not despise. It's the one who comes to God with the deep realization that they don't deserve to be able to speak to him, but that he hears them. And Jesus was in the face of his own culture and in the face of our culture today going, the ones who want you to think they've got it all figured out, those are the ones who are headed for destruction. It's the ones who are willing to admit that they need God. Those are the ones who are going to win in the end. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? Then throw away your pretension. Throw away your need to appear spiritually healthy to every person that's around you. Throw away your need to appear like you have it figured out, like you know what's going on, like your relationship with Jesus is just amazing. Put it away. Put away the posture that says, I'm good, and if you're not like me, you're not. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's what Jesus is saying. That one, the poor in spirit, the one who, like Simon Peter, gets down and says, go away from me, master, for I am an unholy man. He said, oh, really? I'm going to make you the leader of my apostles. The Apostle Paul, who has affected Christian culture more than any other human being other than Jesus himself, called himself the least of the apostles. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He went after the idols of his culture and our culture and said... They're tricking you. These idols are fooling you. They are trying to tell you that if you worship them, you win. But I'm telling you, if you worship them, you lose everything. And that's what the Beatitudes are. So let's jump into the Beatitudes right now. Blessed are the poor in spirit we talked about. Um, you need to understand that, this, that these, this, this thing, this sermon, these Beatitudes, that, that these are... Jesus stating the, the true 
values of God's heart. This is Jesus stating, this is the way the Father really thinks. This is true, and everything else that you believed is a lie. This is true, and everything else that you believed is a lie. Anything that stands against this is a lie. And not only that, Jesus was saying, if you're reading the Old Testament and interpreting it correctly, you would arrive at these statements. Jesus was not throwing out the Old Testament and starting from scratch. It's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus made it very clear. If one, if you, if you change one letter of the Old Testament, then you're wrong. But hear what it's actually saying, and what it's saying is God is like Jesus. And I want you to know, if you start really believing that, buckle up. Because it is going to rock your world because the theology that you grew up with does not really believe that. I know, because I grew up with that theology, and I didn't really believe it until very recently. I did not see this fully. I'm not, not saying I see it fully now, because I don't. I'm still very much in the sifting process. Have you ever seen anybody take, like, you know, stuff and sift it like this so that the, the, the big pieces stay, but the little things just kind of fall through, right? Okay, that's what I've been in. And right now, the name of the sift that God's using, and he's used different sifts over the years, but the name of the sift that God's using right now is God is just like Jesus. That's the name of the sift he's using right now. And it's the worst one I've ever encountered. And it's, but it's also the best one. I'm more in love with Jesus now than I've ever been in my life. That is real. But I am also being more convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit now than I've ever been in my life. I'm being more shifted and changed, and I'm asking harder questions than I've ever asked before. And it's an extraordinarily painful journey, so come, let's do this together. Because <laughs> this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It looks like just when you get things figured out, Jesus... And you've got Jesus in this nice little box. Here he is. It's Jesus. He's right here. And then Jesus taps you on the shoulder. Because he's actually back there. And you're like, but I thought you were in here. And he's like, I have not been in there for a long time. How many of you in Sunday school used to sing the Little Red Box song? I wish I had a little red box to put my Jesus in. Boy, we really meant it. <laughs> we did, because we want a controllable Jesus. That's what we want. We want a Jesus that we get to tell him what he's really like. Oh, Jesus, you're not like that. And Jesus is going, I am me. My name is I am. And you don't get to tell me who I am. I tell you who you are. Come on now, somebody. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. We got to stand in the place where Jesus is telling us who we are. We got to stand in that place. I'm telling you, you will never know the joy, the freedom, the grace, the, the pure, undulterated love of stepping into who Jesus says that you are.
it's so so much better than any idea that you ever had about who about yourself or that the world tried to give you. This is not these this sermon is not a weight of responsibility. This sermon is the pattern of of the grace-empowered life. It's the result of a life of intimacy with Jesus. Jesus is describing a grace-empowered life. He's not giving us a list of requirements before we can get into the kingdom. That's not what this is. I want you to recognize, look at this list, this beautiful list of Beatitudes at the beginning. Pull them out. Where Do you have them? Pull them out. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And blessed are you when you're insulted and persecuted because of Jesus. Uh, uh, I want to draw your attention to what's not in that list. Are there any, is one of the Ten Commandments in that list? <coughs> no. Is blessed are the obedient in that list? No. Does it say blessed are those who don't cheat on their wives? No. Blessed are those who don't have credit card debt. Is that on there? No. Blessed are those who parent correctly. Is that is that one there? No. What do we spend most of our time as churches preaching about? Not these. Right. Right. Is that okay? No. Because I don't think so either. <laughs> Why aren't we preaching the Sermon on the Mount? Why aren't we talking about poverty of spirit? Why aren't we talking about meekness and gentleness? We've forgotten him! And we've left him in the, on the curb because this is a costly life. This is not a life that people enjoy. And I'm telling you right now, because I have seen it with my own eyes. You start preaching this sermon and people will leave your church. I'm telling you. They're going to go, but I really need you to teach me how to be a better parent. How about you try and become like Jesus and then maybe you'll parent well. I need you to teach me about what to do with my finances. How about you give everything away and follow Jesus? That was Jesus' financial advice, by the way. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Somehow, I don't think that, uh, oh crap, what's his name now? I can't even think about it. What was his name? Who's the big financial guru? Oh. I don't have you ever heard Dave Ramsey say here's here's financial advice give everything away I've never heard that I don't 
When's the last time a pastor got it behind a pulpit and encouraged you to mourn? But Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. Now we do talk about being hunger and thirsting for righteousness. That one you probably hear, but it's probably a misinterpretation because this word righteousness actually just means justice. It doesn't mean personal rectitude. It doesn't mean personal righteousness like, I, I don't do this, I don't do that, here's my list of things that I do and I don't do. That's not what this word righteousness means. This word righteousness means, blessed is he that hungers that all things be done right. It's justice is what it's talking about. The justice of God, which by the way, is not retributive, it's restorative. <laughs> We'll talk more about that at another time, I'm sure. The justice of, of God never says, you're going to pay for what you did. The justice of God says, how can we restore the one that you hurt? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is not about, you took his eye, so now I'm going to take yours. No, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is, you took his eye, now be his eye. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> When's the last time that you were taught to be merciful instead of passing judgment? There was a man, his name was Francis of Assisi. And the prayer that's written, the prayer of St. Francis, was not a prayer that he wrote. It's a prayer that his disciples wrote to describe his life. It was said of him that he walks the world as the pardon of God. That he, he was mercy. When's the last time the church was encouraged to stand up and be merciful? <laughs> this sermon has things to say to us. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones who come humbly before the Lord and say, I need you. Blessed are those who mourn. Ladies and gentlemen, mourning is a part of the human life. And I would say this, mourning is good for you. We should look at how much we're not like Jesus 
And it should stir us to weep and to mourn. We should see that. We should see the glory of the character and the nature of Jesus. And it should stir us. Oh, I am not, I'm so far from who you are, Jesus. And that should cause us to mourn. But here's the promise. You will be comforted. You know what's cool about this word, comforted? Huh? Did anybody look it up? What word did you look up in the original language? That was another thing I asked you to do. What was, somebody give me a word that you looked up in the original language. Morning. Did you look up morning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did it say? Um, it said the original text was either morning or be well, which meant to, let me look at I have it in my notes. And I also looked up blessed, but um, morn mm. is um, bewailed, defined as express great regret, disappointment, or bitterness over something. Properly grieve over a death, to grieve over a personal hope that dies, i.e. comes to divine closure or ends, refers to manifested grief so severe it takes possession of a person and cannot be hidden. To mourn, to lament. To weep. What does blessed mean? Um, blessed is, let's see. Fortunate or happy. Mm-hmm. There's there's some there's something behind this. It's it, it's makarios, properly when God extends His benefits. Okay, when God extends His benefits. Happy, blessed, to be envied. I like that. Uh, Jesus was co-opting a thing that a lot of the teachers of his day did. There's a a lot of the teachers of his day did blessed be fill in the blank. A lot of the teachers. This is something that like, if you were talking about a couple different rabbis, you would be like, well, he says, blessed are the cheese makers. And this one says, you know, blessed are the whatever. So, you know, that, that there was this, and, and you would kind of match them up. And so Jesus was like, I'm going to do that. I'll rise to that occasion. I'm going to give you a list that's completely unexpected. But the, the, the phrase, blessed be the, literally means the life of God is made manifested in. That's, that's, the, that's the flow of this thought. Because this idea wasn't even a Jewish idea. It was originally a Greek idea that then the the Jewish rabbis took and then Jesus took it as well. Jesus does that a lot, by the way. But Jesus says, oh, that's the conversation you're having. Let me step into that conversation and blow it up. He was good at that. He's still good at that. The life of God is made manifest in the spiritual, those who have spiritual poverty. Someone else, a word you looked up in the original language. Anyone? Yeah. Um, 
Basically, the definition I gave you was clean, but if you look further to the definition, it says unstained either literally or ceremony. Ceremony. Yeah. yeah. That word. Uh huh. For spiritually guiltless, innocent, and upright. Mm hmm. Without mixture. Remember, we talked about that last year. <laughs> we spent time on that without mixture. Yes, we did. <laughs> if you want to hear that conversation, you can go to the podcast. It's out there. But without mixture, what does it mean to be pure of heart? Total and utter sincerity. Without mixture. Nothing. Nothing is as important to you as God. And there is the warning from the Psalms. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the issue of life. Jesus was basically repeating that admonition in this context. Keep your heart pure, wholly devoted to one reality. If you call it pure water, what is it? It's just water. If you call it pure gold, what is it? It's pure gold. We love to think that what Jesus is saying here is blessed are those that don't look at pornography. We, we love that. We love to think that, right? Because that's what we were told. Oh, purity. Purity means this. Purity means that I don't mess around with stuff I shouldn't mess around with. And of course, Jesus doesn't want you to mess around with stuff you shouldn't mess around with. But that's not what he's saying. Jesus is always going one step beyond your manifestation of sin and going to the actual sickness. He's not interested in the symptoms alone. Jesus wants to treat the illness. And that's what sin really is. All of the rest of these are just symptoms of your sin. The reality of your sin is that you don't love God more than anything else and that you don't love your neighbor as yourself. That's the reality of sin. It's a lack of love. It's funny, I just said this morning that sin is a sickness. It is. Sin is a sickness. And it's important that we recognize it as that. So let me ask you a question. If you met someone who was ill, would killing them cure them? No. Then why do we think God wants to kill sinners? He doesn't. That's just the, what's it called? It's like if you got cancer, if you don't have the cure, you're going to die anyway. So it's just like yes. sin. If you don't get the cure, you're going to die. Yes. It's not that he wants to kill us. That's what sin does. Amen. That's so good. So God's wrath. What is God's wrath toward? Give me a week. I'll find the answer. <laughs> I'll help you. It's the same as the doctor that's trying to cure your cancer. The doctor's wrath is the can is at the cancer, not at you. So is God's wrath on you or on the sin that's killing you? 
now, people. It's good stuff. Where are we? Blessed are the gentle. I love this. Blessed are the meek, the gentle. I love this one. This one's one of my favorite ones. You want to know why? Because we really don't stinking believe it. We don't believe it. I actually saw a shirt years ago that said, blessed are the meek, and then it said, yeah, right. It was a Nike shirt. I feel like that ad almost undoes the the issue of this this other thing. I really do. Cause they were standing with someone that was standing with the meek. I don't care how you feel about Colin Kaepernick. I don't care what you think about him. It's not important to me. He's standing with the meek. He's saying when the powerful abuse their power, we should not be okay with it. And look what happened to him when he said that from his place of power and position. Look what happened. When he dared to question the powerful's use of their power, what happened to him? All that power got turned on him and he got removed from his place. How dare you? People are furious with this man because he had the gall to say, hey, the powerful should be careful how they use their power. And he had the gall to use the position he'd been given to speak that truth and do it in such a meek way. I'm just going to kneel. But look what the powerful did. Because this is what the powerful do. Exactly what he said they'd do. Exactly. He proved them right. Didn't he? He proved them right. He proved himself right. They proved him right. That's what I mean to say. When they reacted the way that they did, the predictable way that power reacts, when we question its use of power, power always reacts by saying, you don't get to talk to me. Power always reacts by powering up. It's the only thing it knows how to do. That's why they didn't know what to do with Martin Luther King. Because here he stood, I'm not going to submit to your power, but I'm not going to power up back at you. That's why that kind of protest actually works. Because the meek inherit the earth. When you turn and you try and conquer power by power, you will lose completely. But when you try and conquer power by meekness, you will lose, but the people behind you will win. Because when power shows itself to be as broken as it is, it loses its power. 
which, by the way, is exactly what happened on the cross. It is precisely what happened on the cross. Jesus in meekness. The most powerful being in the universe in meekness allowed these puny creations of his to nail him to a cross. And as he hung there, he didn't say, I'm going to get you. That's it. This breaks everything. I'm going to come down with all the legions of angels and we're going to just burn the earth. They're going to salt the fields. It's over. Did Jesus do that? No. Jesus hung there and said, Jesus hung there and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus remained in meekness. And therefore, what did he do? He inherited the earth because the power coercive power which is from the enemy by the way god does not he does not he doesn't do the coercive power thing god never does and he never will and he never has which is why the the question of why doesn't god stop that person from raping that child is really important it's because that's not how god works god's not a coercive he doesn't he doesn't move with coercive power. He doesn't step in and do that. What he his power is love. His power is to woo. His power is to give freedom. His power is to give permission. That's how God ex- exercises his power is by inviting us to partnership, not by putting a, a putting us in a box and saying don't do anything. Boy, we're getting to a lot of things today. (laughs) (laughs) Blessed are the meek. Meekness does not mean weakness. And I know we, we, we love to go there immediately. We love to think meekness equals weakness. It does not. Meekness means strength held in reserve. You don't have to tell a weak person to be gentle. Because they can't be not gentle. (laughs) All a weak person can do is be gentle. When my daughter is, you know, punching me, I don't have to be like, hey, stop, because she can't hurt me. But if I were to punch her, (laughs) right? She can hit me as hard as she wants. I'm going to be okay unless she hits me in the wrong spot. (laughs) Okay? I don't have to tell her to be gentle. I don't have to tell her to be meek. She doesn't have strength. But the person who does have strength has to practice meekness and gentleness. A gentle word turns away wrath. Exactly. When we respond to power with meekness, power doesn't know what to do. Kind of reminds me of uh, the Joker. In Dark Knight, when Batman's just kicking the crap out of him, and he's just kind of like, what are you going to do to me? <laughs> like, I don't care. Beat the crap out of me. Nothing you can do. You have nothing to do with all your power. It's what he says to him. And Batman, and he's right, he's defeated Batman right there. In that moment, he's utterly defeated him. 
Because when power comes at you with full power and you're like, bring it on, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna resist. They don't have anything else to do. Which is precisely what Jesus did. Go ahead. Use your power on me. You're killing yourself. When death did what death does and killed Jesus, death died. When sin did what sin does and killed Jesus, sin died. When Satan did what Satan does and attacked Jesus, Satan lost. Because at no point did Jesus say, oh, that's it. Because that's not how God works. Not then, not now, not in the world, and not with you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. There's an end of there's an end to this story, my friends. The end of the story is that all things are going to be made new. The end of the story is that unjust suffering will be fixed and that everything the enemy has stolen will be restored and that all that sin has broken will be, made, will be resurrected. That's the end of the story. The end of the story is that everything that we lost, we get back and more. That's the end of the story. I don't think you understand how good the good news really is. Jesus is saying, desire justice because it's coming. Wrong things will be made right. If not now, then later. But it's coming. And it's only coming because of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We love the narrative, especially in this country, and they loved it back then, and every human culture has loved it. We love the narrative of bringing the, the criminal to justice. No way. They're going to pay for what they did. We love that narrative. If the bad guy doesn't pay at the end of the movie, it's like, why did I even watch this? Isn't that how you felt at the end of the first Avenger of, of this most recent Avengers yes. movie? You mean... 
Half the universe is dead, and Thanos is sitting on a beach. Yes. Help me understand. Hey, Thanos is not a bad guy. Oh, don't go there. <laughs> you me. When does Thanos get it? Have you ever seen The Princess Bride? Yeah. Who kills Humperdinck? <laughs> who? Is it? Is it Inigo? Who? Who kills Humperdinck? Right? Are you with me, everybody? And he says, nobody kills him. He lives. Well, what are you reading this for me to me for? <laughs> right? That's it. We, this what we want. We want vengeance. And Jesus is going, vengeance is a bad idea. Mercy is a good idea. I love the Lord of the Rings. We're going to talk about the Lord of the Rings. I have a lot. A heck of a lot. I just reread it again. I just reread the the books again. If you've not read the books, then you're not a fan. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be honest with you. <laughs> if you've not read the books, then you don't really like Lord of the Rings. You like three movies that were pretty good, and they were good. But the the complexities of the story in the book are so much more beautiful than what was in the movies. And one of them is everybody keeps letting Gollum off the hook. Now Gollum is. A horrible person. Over and over again, he does horrible things. And in the book, he does more horrible things. He kills multiple people. He is constantly stealing. Over and over again, he is leading Frodo and Sam into danger. Over and over again, he is conniving. He's trying to figure out how is he going to get the ring over and over again. But anytime somebody has the opportunity to just end Gollum's life, they go, I can't. They show him mercy. And it's a really good thing that they do. Because if they hadn't, the ring would never have been destroyed. Because in the end, it was mercy that destroyed the ring. By the way, the ring is a symbol of coercive power. That's what the ring is. It's the ring of power. If you want to read a story about how power destroys itself, you need to read The Lord of the Rings. Because that's what it's about. Anytime anybody tries to lay hold of power, it tricks them, and they end up being destroyed by it in the end. They may gain a whole lot of victories first, but then they lose everything. Why? Because they've chosen power. And the ones that win in the end are the ones that recognize the trap of coercive power. Okay, coerce To coerce means to threaten, to hold the threat of violence over a person. To say, do this or else. That's what it means to coerce. And coercive power is the kind of power that says, I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, you're going to do what I say or I'm going to hurt you. That's coercive power. And that is not the kind of power that God uses. Ever. But that's the kind of God that we've believed in for a long time. A lot of us have believed that in God's, that at the base of God's nature is a God who's holding a, a sword over our heads saying, do this or you or I will hurt you. And that is not who he is. And unlearning that is very difficult. But it must happen because until we do it, whenever we're given authority, we're going to be coercive power people too. And it never creates anything beautiful. 
Gandalf says, I would take this ring in order to do good. But through me, it would wield a power too terrible to imagine. Because Gandalf knew, he understood, that coercive power destroys every time. That it never, ever does anything that's good for very long. It always creates a lust for itself, which will eventually destroy the very thing it created. And Jesus says, we're looking for people who are merciful. Not ones going, I can't wait until you get what you deserve. No, we're looking for a people who say, I hope you don't get what you deserve. In fact, if it's in my power, I will keep you from getting what you deserve. Because isn't that what Jesus did for you? Does it say blessed are the judgmental? No. Does it say blessed are the ones who hand out sentences to the guilty? It doesn't say that. Because that's there's no blessing there. Once again, I want to point at Jesus and say, here is a man who never committed any sin. He never did anything wrong. And an unjust system comes along and kills him. And then he rises from the dead. Now, let me say something to you. If you are a murderer, if you have murdered someone, the worst possible thing that could happen to you is that that person rises from the dead. (laughs) Are you with me? <laughs> okay. You threaten me, therefore I kill you. Ha ha! I killed him. Oh no, he's alive again. What am I going to do? And Jesus... <laughs> right? Ah, oh, crap! Ah, he's alive again! This is the last thing you want him to do is rise again! I killed him to get rid of him. I was trying to get it in. He's got to get out of here. Here he is back. And you would think that the person who was just killed by someone would get up and be like, your turn. <laughs> but that is not, is that what Jesus did? What was the first word of new creation? Peace. The first word of new creation was be not afraid. We, the human race, we banded together and we did what we do. We killed him. And then Jesus rises from the dead. The worst thing that could happen to any murderer ever. He rises from the dead and we're like, ah, what is it going to do to us? And he's like, I'm here to tell you it's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) What? Jesus rises from the dead and says, Peace. (laughs) 
And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who understand how that works and blessed are those who walk in that. When you cut me, I bleed forgiveness for you. You, Your violence toward me becomes my violence for you. Not against you. And let me say, as a human being, that is hard. I don't know that there's anything harder. You had active malice toward me. You chose to hurt me. You wanted to hurt me. You wanted to harm me. It wasn't an accident. You nailed me to a cross where I would hang there for three hours in utter and complete agony. And when I'm finally dead, you mutilate my corpse. I love you. And everything you did to me now becomes good back to you. The stripes you put on my back, they're going to heal you. The blood that came out of my body because you pierced me, it forgives you. Jesus brings the opposite of what he should bring. The greatest crime in history, deicide, we killed God, becomes the thing which changes all of creation. Becomes the thing which sets, all, sets in motion a new creation which will fill all of creation at some point was only there when Jesus took the worst that sin had and it still didn't win. In fact, by doing what it did, it it chose to lose. See, when you obey sin, you lose. And when you disobey sin, you win. Blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall receive mercy. Jesus said, when it's no longer about what is owed to you or what you deserve, then you're free to receive everything. Jesus tells the story about the servant who goes in and sees the king and he, he you know, owes lots and lots of money. Lots and lots of cash to the king. And the king says, guess what? I forgive you. And then the servant says, woohoo. And he goes out. And as he goes, he runs into someone who owes him a little bit of money, just five bucks or something. So just, you know, not even enough to buy a drink at Starbucks. Okay. And, and he says, give me my money. Ah! And he gets the guy thrown in prison for the tiny amount of money that he owes the servant. And the king hears about it and says, Are you insane? I just forgave you a million dollars and you're pressing charges on this guy that owes you five dollars? Explain that. Well, if that's the world you want to live in, then you can live in that world and I'm sending you to prison until you pay me everything you owed me. Because either you owe what you owe and everyone else that and all the people that owe you something owe you, or... No one owes you anything, and you owe no one anything. 
but you can't live one foot in each world. You can't live one foot. You can't say, I owe no one anything, but everyone owes me something. That, that's not, it doesn't, it's not how things work. The law of gravity works or it doesn't work. You don't get to live so that you're weightless, but everyone else is heavy. It does, it's not how it works. If you're going to live in this world, you're going to live by this world's rules. And this world says, I owe what I owe, and they owe what they owe, and that's how it works. But if you step out of that world into another world, where I owe no man anything, and no man owes me anything, you can be free. Does this make sense? That's why it's the merciful that receive mercy. That's why in the Lord's Prayer he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's the only way it works. The only way to experience forgiveness is to forgive. Oh, nobody ever told you that, huh? That hurts. I want to be forgiven for my sin. Well, then you have to forgive them for sinning against you. Never mind! You would not believe the looks that I give people when I tell them, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. But you don't know what they did to me. No, but I can think about some things that you did to God. No matter how sad your story is, I doubt that anyone nailed you to a cross. After you created them, after you created the world that they lived in, after you gave them every single breath that they've ever breathed, after you kept their heart beating all of their life, then you go and meet them face to face. They hate you, they revile you, and they nail you to a cross. Has that happened to you? Then guess what? Jesus wins. And you have to forgive them because he forgave you. Amen? Do we need to take a breather? <laughs> We're halfway through. <laughs> Do we need to breathe for a minute? Talk to me. Where you at? This is why we did the Beatitudes over many, many weeks last year. We took two hours on each one of these. There's a lot to say. Amen? Talk to me. What's going on in your fertile little minds? <laughs> Hi, Preston. Oh, Congratulations, my friend. I love you. You doing okay? I just want to take away from the conversation. No, you're good. I just say it. Talk to me. What's going on? Speak. Oh, no, don't. Honestly, we suck. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Amen. But that's why Jesus started with, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I qualify! <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. He's been through, he spends the rest of the chapter making you feel poor in spirit <laughs> so that you can go back to the beginning of the chapter and be like, oh, thank God. 
personally, oh gosh, I like it. <laughs> 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 For me personally, we read the first part, and like I've read, I've I've read this chapter before, and I've read the Beatitudes before, but then for some reason it just hit me more, and I think it's just because um, I've gone through like a lot of stress um, this week, and it hit me that. Uh, it was okay for me to mourn that I was stressing and stuff like yes. that. And it, like, it was okay to do that because I was like, well, then that just means I'm not like signifying that God can take me out of the stress and that, you know, that God is going to like that. I'm going to be okay. That that's obviously meaning I'm not signifying that I'm going to be okay. When really deep down, I knew I was going to be okay. I just felt horrible. <laughs> and I, I, like, actually, I teared up a little bit, and I was like, dang, it's already happening. I'm already, I'm already tearing up. And, um, but it helped me out, because there were just, like, so many things. And I thought that, like, even this morning, I was like, God, I'm so sorry that I was so stressed, and that I just, like, you know, and I shouldn't have let the stress get me to the point. Like, I should still always give more and more time. Um, but it was, like, an unhealthy way of me apologizing and when I read that I was kind of like oh okay well it's okay to mourn and it's okay that I'm stressed the only time it's not okay is when I put it above him which I'm self-aware yeah. about it so I'm not putting it above him therefore I don't need to be so condemning to myself as I am over all of these situations that are being thrown at me I, I can I'm allowed to be stressed I'm allowed to be like God I'm stressed out. I don't understand why this is happening or this person said this or, you know, I don't understand that when obviously you're telling me this. It's like, it's okay. And I was like, okay, it's all right to be stressed. It is. All right. It's fine. It is. It's fine. Everything's fine. It is. Well, we do that though, don't we? We get, we feel guilty about the emotions that we are experiencing. Oh, I shouldn't feel that way. And the Lord's going, go ahead and mourn because in it I can comfort you. Be honest with me about it. Bring it, bring it to me. Allow yourself to mourn so that I can comfort you. Just shutting it off and shoving it down and being like, I don't feel that way. I really don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. No. That's not what Jesus is not interested in that. I, I'm in the midst of leadership coaching, and they have seven missional axioms that I'm supposed to be uh, uh, memorizing. And one of them is God meets you where you are. Not where you should be. Not where you wish you were. Not where you think he wishes you were. He meets you where you are. And if that's true, then I don't need to leave this place to meet with God. In fact, if I want to meet with God, this is where I need to do it. In the middle of my stress. Okay, God. Axiom number one says you are always present and at work. So I know that even though 
I have this emotion. You're here. You're doing something. Meet me here. Meet me here. I'm not going to walk out of my stress and go try and find God. No, 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 no. I'm going to stay right here in the middle of my stress, and I'm going to meet him here because this is where he is. How many of you walked into a church service and had them said, just put your whole week behind you and just meet with God right now? Bullcrap! <laughs> I'm calling a big, gigantic bullcrap on that. How about bring your week in here? Bring it in here because Jesus wants to meet you right smack in the middle of it. What are you stressing about? I had this great, oh man, uh, we did the, you know, I do listening exercises a lot. And in this one listening exercise, uh, it was like, be, be present to your emotions in the moment. That was one of the things. And, and it was, ask Jesus to talk to you about the emotion you're feeling right now. And so I, at the time I was feeling super stressed and stress felt like this weight that was like, I mean, I could literally feel it pulling on my shoulders, like pushing me down so I couldn't breathe. Like that's how I felt. I felt like someone was standing on my chest and that's how stress was making me feel at this time. And I was like, Jesus, here I am. And, and the picture came to my mind of myself wearing this huge weight around my shoulders, just this, this big like dumbbell that was like on a rope that was hanging around my neck. Just like, uh, and, and I'm trying to, uh, and I remember the verse that says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And I was like, Lord, I would love to cast this on you, but I can't even pick it up. How do you cast something that's too heavy to lift? Right? So I'm like, get up, cast my cares. I got to cast this care. <laughs> and it's not moving. Jesus comes along and was just like, oh. <laughs> and in my listening place, Jesus comes along and just goes, why are you wearing that? That's mine. And he, without any difficulty at all, he just picks it up off my neck and puts it on his own and says, is that better? And I'm just like, I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. Like it was just this huge thing. But I'll tell you what, if I hadn't actually like, if I had just been like, I'm okay, Jesus, really, I'm fine. I'm really fine. We're good. I'll meet with you later. It's going to be okay. Like if I had done that, he never would have taken it off of me. No, he had to meet me in my stress so he could take it from me. And still, when I'm feeling stressed, I still go back to the meeting place again. I'm like, you got it. I, some, for some reason, I put this back on. I, <laughs> you know? And Jesus is, Jesus is just like, all right, give it back. <laughs> but don't we do it all the time we do oh 
Guess what? It's not your stress. It's his. And he's not stressed. I think uh, something that was it's kind of comical, but it hit really hard at the same time. Y'all you know, ever seen Big Hero 6? Alright, so y'all know oh, the, so the scene where uh, I can't remember his name now. Baymax. No, the little, little kid. That the hero Hamada. Hero. Thank you. I can't remember his name. So, you know, it's like, it's right, spoiler alert, it's right after his brother dies. <gasps> Yo, what? Alert, so. <laughs> I don't see you didn't give me enough time to put my fingers in my ears. It happens really early in the movie. Go ahead. So, he's standing there in the bedroom, and he's about to have a breakdown, right? He's, 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 he's bootleg. And... Baymax comes over to him and is trying to give him a hug. Plug your ears. Plug your ears. Uh, Baymax come come over, comes over and tries to give this little kid a hug. And he's trying to fight it. He's like, no. And he's like, <laughs> he's like no. I don't want And then Baymax is this giant marshmallow. And every, every single hit and every single throw and every punch and every no, I don't want it. No, I don't deserve it. No. Yeah. It's all absorbed because he's this giant marshmallow, <laughs> and he just comes over and just and just goes all over him, and just like and just. Very much. Eventually, you and, have to. Uh, and you know, it's like it's like we try so hard. At least for me, we try so hard to hold everything up on our own. And whenever God steps in, he's like, "Here, let me help you with it." And we're over here swinging at him. We're like, "No, I can do it. I can take care of it myself." And then he. Just comes over here. He's like, it's okay, I got it. And he just like, just, just wraps his big bushy arms around us. You heard it here, folks. Jesus has big mushy arms. My six hundred pound life. I just. Wow. <laughs> All right. Reel it back in. We only have a few minutes, and I at least want to get through the Beatitudes, even if we don't talk about the rest of the chapter. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, there's two, there's, 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 there's a couple things here, okay? Because peacemakers... Make peace with those that are fighting with them, and that's important. The peacemakers also step into fights that are not their own and become the answer. And there's something we need to understand that peacemakers pay the price for things they never did. That's what peacemakers do. I saw the most beautiful uh, illustration of this in Mexico City a few years ago when I was um, I was there. I was teaching on the Father Heart of God. That was my job for a week, and it was fun. I was at the YWAM Missions Base in Mexico City, and uh, I was teaching on the Father Heart of God, and I was. Um, but when you'd go, and I was staying with them in the mission space. And so I was eating all my meals with them. And, 
and which in Mexico that's really good news for me because okay. Mexican food is fantastic and it's my favorite. But anyway, you know, and so there's all these Mexican kids and they're making real Mexican food. And like Friday we had chilaquiles for breakfast, which was like the best thing I've ever had in my life. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I was just like, can I have this breakfast every day for the rest of my life? I said, sure. Anyway, um, so, but as you know, and you know this better than most, when people live close to one another, things get contentious sometimes. And there was a fight going on. And what's funny, it, it's funny, but it's not funny. Mm-hmm. Okay? What's funny was the fight was over cheese. Okay? And Mexicans take cheese very seriously. <laughs> Okay, but they had someone in the house had gone out and bought a specific expensive kind of cheese that was for them. They had used their own money and they had bought it and they would put it in the refrigerator and someone else had eaten it. Their name was on it. Oh, their their name was on it. It was very clearly belonged to someone else and 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 they ate it. No. And no one knew who had eaten it. And the and the leader, not the not the leader of the house, but like the one of the like the the girls, like the lady that was in charge of the girls, she was dealing with this issue. And she said, "We're at the breakfast table," and she says, "Okay, this cheese was taken. It was eaten. They had spent their own money on it, you know, etc." You have twenty four hours to tell me it was you. So all we're asking. We want to know who it was, and if you don't, you know, then there's going to be repercussions if somebody doesn't come forward. Well, 24 hours later, we're at the breakfast table again, and she's like, no one came forward and said they ate the cheese. She said, I've been praying about this a lot, and I've decided that I'm going to pay for the cheese myself. And we're going to call this done. But I want you to know that I really can't afford to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's what Jesus would do. And I feel like it's what God wants me to do. That's peacemaking. Peacemaking is walking into a mess of a situation and saying, I don't care whose fault it was. We're going to fix it. I don't care whose fault it was. I'm going to pay for it. That's peacemaking. And isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus walk into the midst of a mess that was not his own and pay the price to fix it? He did. And that's peacemaking. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. Not just say, now guys, let's not fight. And way beyond when you're in a fight with someone else saying, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. That's true, and that's real, and you should do that. But let's go the next step, and let's look at how Jesus did it. Jesus stepped into a mess that was not his own, and he paid for the damage himself. He ended the fight. He ended the fight, even though he wasn't a part of it. That's peacemaking what he's calling us to do they shall be called the sons of god
Why? Because that's what God does. Because Jesus didn't just forgive your sins. Jesus forgave every sin that was sinned against you. That's why Jesus had to forgive. That's why the whole idea of limited atonement is not possible. Jesus had to forgive the sins of the whole world. Because if he didn't, then the sins that were sinned against you are left unforgiven. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus forgave the sins of the whole world. And I can already hear the little train of thought going in some of your minds. If Jesus forgave the sin of the whole world, does that mean everyone is saved? I can already hear that train rolling. And I'm going to let you think about it. I'm not going to answer the question. Have fun. Have fun. Because let me say this to you. That question is one of the biggest questions that's being asked in your generation right now. Yeah. But it's simply answered, though. It's not. It can be. If you think it's simply answered, you haven't read the Bible very well. well I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't want to... I'm just, I'm just saying, I've studied really, really hard, and there's not a simple answer to that question. But, I mean, we have free will. Yes, so, we do. I mean, if we have free will... But how is that a simple answer? Because the, it's, it's... We can choose not to be... complicated, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, let me say this to you. Let, let me say this to... Let me say this to... Please hear me about this. If you've read and there's a simple, non-complex answer, then you haven't, you haven't really looked at the complexity of the problem. There aren't any simple, non-complex answers in Scripture. It's not a simple, non-complex book because we're not simple or non-complex. We are deeply complex. And the human situation is deeply complex. And there aren't any simple, pat answers. And if you're trying to find them, you're going to hurt yourself the end of the day, there are things that we know and there are things that we don't. And the church needs to be able to say, I'm not sure. Yes, we have free will. And that's definitely a part of the answer. I don't want, I'm not trying to belittle you in any way. And I'm sorry that I answered you with, to shut you down. I shouldn't have done that. I tried to. <laughs> and, now, and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I'm, I'm apologizing. Just because we don't, just because we don't have time for that discussion right now. But I would love to have it later. I really would. And, and it isn't simple. And I used to think that there were simple answers to some of this stuff. And I don't think that anymore. <laughs> I just don't. I have gigantic question marks about a lot of things. Yes, sir. What was the question you guys were trying to answer? I was zoned out when you guys started talking about that. I jumped into the conversation. That'll teach you. There's, there's no, there's no simple answer. I'm like, oh, snap. If Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, does that mean everyone is saved? That's the question. We can talk about this later and figure out an answer or not. 
all we can do is arrive at what does the Bible say about this? And that doesn't necessarily mean we have an answer. A lot of times with a lot of the Bible and a lot of these questions that we ask, the Bible gives us multiple answers to that question and they don't connect with each other. Do we have free will or are we predestined? Yes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The Bible does say free will. It also says we're predestined. It says both. And it never makes any attempt to make those two ideas meet one another. It, it never, ever does. And of course you've never... I mean, here's the deal. Unless you've actually read the Bible without a, a thought in your head that you know what it says. Because we all do this. We all come to the Bible with our own ideas about what the Bible actually says. We all do it. And because we do, we skip over verses we didn't that don't make sense to us. But it says this. Yeah, but the sentence before it says that. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. (laughs) And this is the process of becoming a real student of Scripture. It is not a process. Listen, one of the other axioms. I should pull them up and just read all seven of them to you. I can do that. One of the other axioms is the (laughs) the goal of discipleship is not moral perfection nor cognitive certainty. The goal of discipleship is communion with Christ. That one will mess with your head. Where are these actions coming from? This leadership coaching that I'm doing, and if you want to, if you want to learn about them, they have a podcast, Gravity Leadership Podcast, um, where they talk through these at length. I'm actually going to a Gravity Leadership Conference this weekend in Indianapolis. These axioms, I will read them to you. You ready? Number one, God is always present and at work. These are seven ideas that you need to have in your head in order to lead or live like Jesus. That's what these are. So number one, God is always present and at work. When you're ready for number two, tell me. Now, I didn't write these. I don't know who did. I mean, I think it was Ben Sternkey and Matt uh, Tebby, but I don't know who really wrote them. Number two, God is just like Jesus. That's a very big deal. Number three, God meets us where we really are. Tempted to preach a sermon about each of these. Number four is really good. God cares more about all of this than you do. Oh, that's just, here you go, Jesus. Here's that weight. You can have it. God cares more about all this than you do. 
Oh my gosh. If that's true, then guess what? Prayer is not about getting God to care about this. <laughs> isn't that a liberating thought? Like, cause isn't that what we do with prayer? Like, isn't, aren't we praying just to get God to care about this? Like, God, this is important. And God's going, I care about it more than you do, son. I just told somebody, like, don't, like, you don't have to pray for all. Like, pray for this, but don't pray for this expecting him to not already know about all this. <laughs> well, and not, maybe he knows. I think we believe he knows. I don't think we believe he cares. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, what God does through you, he is also doing in you. Anyone who's ever prepared a sermon understands that axiom well. Don't get away with preaching something that you haven't learned. What God is doing through you, he is also doing in you. Number six, the goal of discipleship is not certainty nor my brain just uh, moral perfection the goal of discipleship is communion with Jesus Communion with Jesus. And finally, I think this one's the hardest one. We only learn love through embodied participation. We only learn love through embodied participation. It means you can't learn love in a classroom. You can't learn love from a book. You learn how to love by loving and being loved. Just good stuff, man. That's where we'll end for today. Next week... Matthew chapter 6. Next week. Matthew chapter 6. And I know we didn't get to the end of Matthew chapter 5, but that's the way it's going to be, guys. Matthew chapter 6, same questions. It's always going to be the same questions. Always, always. Always the same questions. Amen.